Support for On Something comes from Way to Grow, providing growers and gardeners with knowledge and tools for hydroponic and organic urban gardening since 2003. With locations in Fort Collins, Boulder, Denver, and Colorado Springs, learn more at waytogrow.net. Support for On Something comes from the Rodman Law Group, a Denver-based law firm with a global reach. The Rodman Law Group specializes in cannabis, hemp, blockchain, FDA compliance, and litigation. Learn more at therodmanlawgroup.com. From Colorado Public Radio and PRX, this is On Something. So what happened is I hear something in my head and I recorded it in my phone. In my phone I have about a hundred and some odd voice recordings of just melodies or just ideas. This is Joshua Johnson, drummer, music director, and founding member of the New Orleans band Tank and the Bangas. They were 2020 Grammy nominees for Best New Artist. We were working on this song for the album that is now on the record, Green Balloon. It's a joint called Mr. Lion. My brother, he's a really great keyboard player, piano player. What he would play was a lot of things that I would hum, and he would embellish. I've been waiting on you. And then when we got finished with that part, it would be, what do we do with the strings? And so I would literally hum parts that the strings would play. So like way at the top, in the beginning of them, you'll hear voice memos of me humming string parts. And then towards the end, you don't really hear Joshua's voice but you do hear the melody from that voice memo. All right, all right. You didn't accidentally download an episode of Song Exploder. This right here is a podcast about marijuana post-legalization. Remember? Was I high doing this? I can't say I wasn't, right? Because it was so long ago. But at the same time, I can't say I was high the entire time. Joshua is an artist who says he uses cannabis all the time. And so, of course, it has some relationship to his creative process. I guess smoking slows down my thought process so that I could analyze it and just really go through it and, and make it more detailed for myself before I even know what I'm going to present to someone else or anything like that. It's, it's really just a refining process, I guess, for me. It's not exactly breaking news that artists and creative people like Joshua gravitate towards weed. And some of them give the drug a lot of credit for how it helps their creative process. But what is the relationship between creativity and cannabis? 
Today, we'll explore this question with a handful of people. Come along, my friends, on a journey of imagination. This is On Something, stories about life after legalization. I'm Anne-Marie Awad. People have been writing songs and making art about marijuana for generations. Dreamed about a reefer five feet long. And it's not just musicians and artists who have been struck by the same inspiration as Lorraine Walton, Ray Charles, Tom Petty, and, yes, Afro Man. Some of the big brains in our lifetime have claimed they've gotten sparks of inspiration after sparking some weed. Carl Sagan, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, just to name a few. But we're here, specifically, to talk about artists. Not only have artists throughout the ages coyly paid tribute to weed, but they've been some of the loudest advocates for cannabis legalization. From Bob Marley... Herb is that thing that give you a little time for yourself so you can live. ...to Paul McCartney... This substance, cannabis, is a whole lot less harmful than rum punch, whiskey, nicotine, and glue, all of which are perfectly legal. Well, not everyone has been uh, down with Mary Jane. Take, for example, Sonny Bono. So without any preaching from this film, let's examine the facts and only the facts. In 1968, the late singer and TV star hosted the documentary Marijuana, a dubious and honestly very funny attempt to do some myth-busting around pot. Highly recommend it. It's on YouTube. Anyways, there's a part of the film where Sonny tries to take apart the claim that marijuana makes someone more creative. And to prove that, he asks an artist to paint two still-life paintings of the same scene, some books and some flowers. This is the same subject matter and painter for both paintings. One was painted before going up on weed, and the other while high on weed. Can you see any significant creative difference? When I'm high, it enhances my creativity. The artist thinks he's being more creative, but do you see it in his work? To some extent, the very inhibited person may feel a greater freedom to be creative. But this doesn't mean he will have the necessary talent to be so. Ouch! Okay, kind of a buzzkill. Let's try somebody a little more contemporary. Is there a point in the process where you're using weed to get past a block or using weed to kind of flesh out an idea or maybe even just using it to come up with ideas in the first place? Like, is that a factor for you? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, it just creates space. It creates space for me. Eduardo Arenas plays bass for the band Chicano Batman. I grew up in L.A. I grew up in Boyle Heights. So um, I grew up around gangs in the early 90s and in the projects for a while. So marijuana was criminalized, right? Yeah. And you see people dealing it, you know, crack and that kind of thing. So marijuana was bundled in in the 90s with all of the Schedule K drugs. 
And I was trying to go to school and get good grades, you know, and that's kind of like, that's my route. And so I did not smoke marijuana for the first time until I was like 19 years old. When he finally did try it, he never wanted to get high around people he respected, preferring instead to go solo. I was really embarrassed. I was like, oh man, I'm one of those criminals. Or they're going to think bad of me. And I think one of the things about smoking weed that it really does, it, it brings a lot of truth to the front of your eyes. And that truth is some problems you may be having yeah. or unwillingness to accept who you are as a person. So I think for a while, when I tried to be creative, those are the factors that would really come into play. Uh, lack of confidence, lack of identity or uniqueness. Like, I, I, I'm not unique enough. Or this other person's ideas are much better than mine. Massive self-doubt comes into play. Smoking and drinking became ways to quiet that self-doubt for a little while. He looked at them as ways to become someone else for a bit, until he realized that he was trying too hard to escape himself. So he went to therapy and decided to go sober. He hasn't had a drink in three years, but he still uses marijuana because he sees it as medicinal. I smoke weed and then I realize, no, it's, maybe it's, um, it's your lack of communication or, mm. or maybe you're assuming the response to something and you're inventing a story in your head. You know, so weed has a really amazing way of deconstructing that and allowing me to be honest and reflect that honesty back into myself so that I don't project, <laughs> you know, right. my insecurity to somebody else. And so sometimes I'll have an idea and, um, and I'll say, man, this idea is, is going to be great. Like, I already feel it. So I always like getting a coffee and then going outside and smoking some weed, you know, and coming back and just saying, okay. I'm wondering, is there a song that you can point to on the new album where weed really created that space that you're talking about? for you to create that end product? Wow. Well, I can speak for myself on um, Color of My Life. There's a bass line on there that I basically improvise the whole thing until, uh, uh, with the exception of the chorus line. There's a little melody that I play on there. I would smoke a lot and I'd be like, man, my approach has to be fresh. I have to feel like I'm a big gorilla. I'm going to act like a big gorilla <laughs> jumping around and pounding like like a rampage, you know, like just jumping from building to building. Like I, I need to I need the people to hear these big thunderous steps. How am I going to do that? And I was just thinking, how do I do that? How do I do that? And, and then I'm high and, I'm, and I have these headphones on and it's really loud. You know, and I'm thinking... I just got to play less. I got to play less. And when I play, just give it with all my might, all these different, this expression, this intensity. You know, push it, you know, with one note and then hold it, hold back and then come in later, a few bars later and people will feel it. And I think, um, Smoking definitely brings the intensity, the emotional intensity of something where you don't overthink it. So this is what it's like for Eduardo. But what about the science? Don't we have some cold, hard, objective science on cannabis and creativity? As a matter of fact, we do. After a quick break. 
Hey, it's Anne. I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Listeners like you make On Something possible. Hundreds of thousands of people have listened to our podcast since it launched back in 2019. You've been there with us while we've explored everything from CBD to cooking with cannabis to social equity across the entire industry. It is really humbling and I am so grateful. The reporting, the stories told, and the issues explored, you made all of that possible. And if you feel like helping our show, head to onsomething.org and contribute if you can. Once again, thank you so much. I always like to start out by asking people, who are you and what do you do? Sure. My name's Alice Flaherty. I'm a neurologist with a joint appointment in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and I work at Mass General Hospital in Boston. I wanted to talk to Alice Flaherty because her area of expertise is the creative brain, and her interest in the subject became deeply personal after she went through a very traumatic life event. Well, it was kind of a weird thing. I just finished my neurology residency, and I was pregnant with twins, and they they both died soon after they were born. Um, and oh, wow. instead of having a postpartum depression, I actually had a postpartum mania. This mania developed into what's called hypergraphia. It was pretty unpleasant, you know, as medias go. I was really sad, but I had so much energy, and I just couldn't stop writing. I was basically what as a neurologist, I would call hypergraphic. And part of me was watching this and saying, oh, that's very interesting. Why am I behaving so weirdly? Where in the brain does hypergraphia come from? So it was like the diary of a teenage girl on speed, basically. It was... Um, oh, wow. There was, a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff in there. So I know what it's like to have writer's block, right? Like you're just uh, searching for an idea and you just can't grasp onto one. This sounds yeah. like... The opposite. And that was exactly what I started thinking. Like, if I could, you know, no one cares about hypergraphia because it's rare, but um, if I could find what in the brain was doing this to me, would the opposite process give you writer's block? Since then, she's managed to control her hypergraphia with the help of medication. The experience inspired her to get to the bottom of how drugs impact creativity and motivation. Now, this is a tricky thing to measure scientifically. So basically, the standard creativity study looks at things like divergent thinking. And so they give people pot and say, did your divergent thinking get better or worse? Divergent thinking happens when you're trying to solve for a problem that has many different solutions. For example, what are the uses for a brick? Well, there's lots of uses for a brick. You could build a house with it. You can make a flower bed with it. You could use the surface to light a match. Now, convergent thinking happens in response to problems that have fixed solutions or like one answer. So, for example, what is the surface area of this brick? And there you get really mixed results where there's kind of a range. And it looks like most people who smoke pot get less creative, but some people get a little more. And then there's a bunch of other factors. Regular smokers tend to have less divergent thoughts. Alice also notes that habitual smokers are more likely to also be using other substances, or alcohol, along with marijuana, which also doesn't help. 
However, for those of us who do notice a benefit, it probably has less to do with cannabis having magic creativity powers and more to do with its ability to enhance focus in certain people. Yeah, there's a fair amount of evidence that the cannabinoid receptors, you know, the things in our brain that marijuana chemicals happen to bind to, are involved in our attentional system. Alice says this can be helpful for creative people who are also anxious people, like yours truly. I definitely have a number of patients where marijuana is very helpful for their anxiety. And anxiety is not a very good motivator for creativity. You know, we Mm -hmm. keep forgetting there's two different motivational systems. There's anxiety where you're running away from something. And then there's goal-directed, like, positive motivation where you're interested in something you want to move towards it. And that, on average, tends to be much better for creativity. So if marijuana selectively lowers your anxiety without killing your goal drive then that would be really helpful. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if if you would ever be in a position where you were recommending pot for somebody who was in a creative block. I mean, what sort of advice would you give them to not perform a habit per se? You just have to pay attention to your own habits. And if you turn out, like when you use it in the morning, it's helpful. But when you use it in the afternoon, it's not. You have to be taking copious notes on that. So every artist has to be a scientist in that respect. Everyone is different. Not only is that something I find myself saying almost every episode, but Alice mentioned it a lot in our interview, too. Cannabis use, specifically what benefits people get from cannabis, can be a highly individualized thing. For those who find that it helps them creatively, Alice also says that might be about quieting one's own inhibitions. You know, That inner critic who always tells you that nothing you make will ever be good enough? Shutting that guy up can make way for light bulb moments. The aha, like the oh my god, now I see it. Mm -hmm. That's also a chemical thing in your body that's actually probably opiate-based. It's like your endorphin rush Mm. when you figure something out drives a lot of our creativity. But it's not proof that it's a good idea. It just means that's where your brain happened to squirt out the endorphins. (laughs) So based on what you know and what you've seen, Uh does pot actually enhance creativity? Is there scientific proof for this? Well, not that I have seen both in my practice and to the extent that I know the literature. Wait, was Sonny Bono actually right about something? While it's true that some of you will actually go to the moon and perhaps other planets, it's all no, I mean, yes, he was right about that, but about this. The artist thinks he's being more creative, but do you see it in his work? To some extent, the very inhibited person may feel a greater freedom to be creative, but this doesn't mean he will have the necessary talent to be so. Okay, again, Sonny, harsh, but maybe a more generous interpretation of this is exactly what Alice is talking about. Not every idea will be a stroke of genius. But that's a really narrow way of looking at what it means to be creative anyways. In fact, how can you even get to that stroke of genius without making some mistakes along the way? Isn't that sort of the point? Can you give me examples of other things, other dishes that you came up with while you were high and you were like, that did not pan out? (laughs) Never make bone marrow ice cream. That is disgusting. 
Chef Dan Cromer owns three hugely successful Las Vegas restaurants, all of which are doing takeout because, you know, pandemic. In the cutthroat world of the Vegas dining scene, Dan had to get really creative with his menus. And it was a lot of pressure and sometimes stuff that you really did not want to eat. I put it down on paper and next day I just did it. Actually, uh, left it in the ice cream spinner too long. So it actually like seized into like a butter. Oh. <laughs> it tasted like someone like clearing out like some sort of meat locker drain. It was just bad. But for every bone marrow ice cream, there is a winner, like one of his signature dishes. I like things kind of like hot, cold, crunchy, soft, spicy, sour. I like opposites all put together. So the original idea, I was going to do lobster French toast. Take the, take the just like super trashy, regular old white bread and a fold it corner to corner, make like a pyramid and stuff it with the lobster. And then I was going to take mm. that and batter the whole thing and make it French toast. I'm trying it out a couple of times and it's just horrible. It's just falling <laughs> apart. It's mushy. It's just disgusting. So I just chilled out, went outside, smoked a joint with the other guys. And we knew we wanted to do something with caviar, but didn't know what it was. So we ordered some caviar, which was just there. And I just wanted to do something simple and kind of came in and started hanging out and just saw the French toast stuff laying around and just cut a little square, screwed around. I wanted to eat some caviar. We had some creme fraiche, just slapped some creme fraiche on it, dumped a bunch of caviar in it. And we kind of looked at each other and said, that actually kind of works. That dish, caviar and French toast with creme fraiche, was one of the first items on the menu at Dan's first restaurant. And it's still on the menu six years later. Dan says cannabis helps turn the volume down on his ego. It allows him to take the pressure off of himself to create an end product. And instead, he can trust his gut more. And at least this time, his gut was onto something. I'm super into <laughs> failure. Uh, it's like, you know, when you see people that uh, poker tables or you hear about them winning all the time, you don't hear about the 20 other times that they lost. I'm super proud of my failures. It's gotten where I'm at. Failures where the learning's at. Yep. I remember saying, guys, like, I can't wait to write five crappy songs. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And yeah. that's exactly what you're talking about. Eduardo Arenas again from Chicano Batman. And then they were like, what are you talking about? Are you going to write hits? I'm like, no, no, no. We got to get some out. You yeah. know, we got we to get the cheap ones out. Like yeah. cheesy, crappy, You got to uh, like clear shallow. the pipeline. <laughs> like, we, just, we just need to get it out yeah. of our system. And that's basically the exercise. There's a reason why we venture towards uh, expressing ourselves through, through art is, you know, to, I don't know. It's just, we just want to tap into something else. I think that's also a reason people do drugs, to tap into that something else. So what did we learn today, kids? We learned that no, cannabis doesn't just give people good ideas. In fact, it might be best for getting out the bad ideas, the first five crappy songs, or the bone marrow ice cream. The failures that teach you a little kernel of something that you can carry on to the next idea and the next. 
Creative people might gravitate towards weed because of its anti-anxiety effects and the way it can lower inhibitions. Smoking a joint can quiet the inner critic, who would rather not write those first five crappy songs. And of course, for many others, it'll just help you fall asleep. In the dubious words of Sonny Bono, Well now, you've heard from both sides of the question. But what you do with your life is up to you. My friends, this happens to be the season two finale of On Something. This is it. We made it. Now, we will be back. But in the meantime, make sure to stay subscribed. We've been known to drop some surprises into your feed every now and again. And who knows? We might have one up our sleeves kind of soon. Anyways, farewell and thanks for listening. On Something is a labor of love, with reporting this episode from Stephanie Wolf and Rebecca Romberg, written by Rebecca Romberg and me, Anne-Marie Awad. It's a production of Colorado Public Radio's Audio Innovation Studio and CPR News. Our editor is Curtis Fox. Music by Brad Turner and Daniel Mesher. Our executive producers are Kevin Dale and Brad Turner. On Something is made possible by lots of talented people like Dennis Funk, Rachel Estabrook, Demi Harvey, Kim Wynn, Allison Borden, Matt Hers, Kendall Smith, and Jody Gersh. And our illustrator is Iris Gottlieb. See more of their art on Instagram at Iris Gottlieb. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. This podcast is also made possible by Colorado Public Radio members. Learn about supporting Colorado Public Radio at CPR.org. They were 2020 Grammy nominees for Best New Artist. But they lost to Billie Eilish. Damn it, Billie. Support for On Something comes from Way to Grow, providing growers and gardeners with knowledge and tools for hydroponic and organic urban gardening since 2003. With locations in Fort Collins, Boulder, Denver, and Colorado Springs, learn more at waytogrow.net. Support for On Something comes from the Rodman Law Group, a Denver-based law firm with a global reach. The Rodman Law Group specializes in cannabis, hemp, blockchain, FDA compliance, and litigation. Learn more at therodmanlawgroup.com.